guys, welcome back to Mickey Mike's Up. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about the chaos that was the NWSL this past week, what to expect from the U.S. Women's National Team going into the group stage of the Olympics that kicks off in four days, and what registering for classes was like for college. Grab a snack, find a comfy seat, put your headphones on, and I hope you enjoy this episode of Mickey Mike's Up. When I tell you that this past week in the NWSL was crazy, that's an understatement. People were hired, people were fired, and a lot of games were played. We're going to start off by recapping some of the games and just going into what the score was, who were the key players, what stood out, and we're going to start that off with talking about the Orlando Pride game versus Racing Louisville. So Ebony Salmon, who's been a real standout since she joined the league a few weeks ago, scored in the 21st minute and from there on it really seemed like Racing Louisville was going to come away with the win until you get to stoppage time. And of course, Sydney LaRue scores the game-tying goal in the 94th minute. I said it last week, and I'll probably say it every week I talk about the NWSL, Sydney LaRue is crucial to any team she plays on. When she was on the national team, she was important. When she's on the Orlando Pride, she's important. She just knows how to find people and find goals. And besides that, like she's a badass. I really hope Sid gets her chance to shine on the team again because they need someone like her. The game was pretty evenly matched, but something definitely felt off from Orlando. There were a few mistakes that they weren't showing in the beginning of the season when they were on their winning streak, and it might have just been the fact that a lot of their important players had left or were leaving soon. So it'll definitely be interesting to see what they do going into this international tournament when they're missing players like Alex Morgan, Marta, and Allie Riley who have been solid for the team all season. Orlando definitely has a lot of young players who are really talented, so I hope that this give these younger players a chance to shine. Next, we're going to talk about the Washington Spirit versus North Carolina Courage game. If you had told me a year ago that the Spirit would have beaten North Carolina 2-0, I would have probably laughed at you because the Spirit hasn't always been the best team, especially because their team is a lot of youth and hasn't really seemed to have great coaching along the way. However, the Spirit this season, captained by Andy Sullivan, who definitely should be on the Olympic roster, but that's a conversation for another day, and Ashley Hatch scored two goals that led to the win. However... Besides the goals and the spirit looking great, the game was very, very messy. There were five yellow cards given out, and three were to the North Carolina Courage, and the other two were to the Washington Spirit. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean it was a bad thing. It just means that maybe some of the calls were softer, maybe some of the calls deserved higher level cards. Um, I personally did not have a chance to watch this game yet since I was working, But with the issues that we've been having with roughing all season, it really warrants the question of were these cards worth what they were fouled on? Overall, the game was pretty good from what I heard, and it'll be interesting to see how the Spirit, who isn't really losing any players, will go into this Olympic section of time and really try to make their way higher on the leaderboard. Next, we have the Portland vs. Gotham game, and I made sure this was known last pod episode but Gotham is my team. I love them. And the game ended in a tie, but Portland definitely looked a lot more dominant in the offense. We had a lot of trouble pushing higher to try to score, but Gotham definitely has the defense on their side. Didi Herchich, the goalkeeper, was solid in goal, making some amazing saves. 
Didi even won Save of the Week, which was awesome. Estelle Johnson, who is another integral part of the back line, made an amazing save right off the goal line. So it was a really exciting game save-wise, but when it came to the goal scoring, there were a few opportunities from Portland, but Gotham didn't really get a lot of those opportunities, which has been something that we can see throughout this team for over the last few weeks of the season. Like, the defense is always there, but converting has been a big issue, and it's something that Gotham definitely needs to figure out and work on, especially because Paige Monahan injured. We don't know when she's coming back. You have Evelyn Viennes and Carly Lloyd both away at the Olympics, and so the forward pool is very limited. So with a limited pool of people, you need to be able to convert what's there. This was another game with a lot of yellow cards, um, but they were all given to Gotham, so there were four yellow cards during the game. Probably about two of those cards were very soft calls, and I didn't necessarily agree with them, as did most of my friends on Twitter. It was so bad that after the game, Allie Long, who ended up being captain once McCall Zerboni was subbed off, spoke out against the refs saying that the bias in the game was clear and there needs to be something changed with the roughing in the league. She's not the first person to do this and she won't be the last this season because roughing has been a constant issue after almost every game, which begs the question of why nothing has changed. Obviously, the commissioner of the league sees all this stuff and, you know, team general managers see this stuff and the fact that there's been no no changes really questions the integrity of the league and how can they call themselves the best league in the world when they're not holding the refs accountable at, to create a safe environment for the players during these games. The next game was the Chicago versus the Houston Dash game which Chicago won 2-1 to one. however they didn't score any of the goals that caused them to win. Both goals were own goals scored by the Houston Dash, one coming from Shea Groom and one coming from Katie Naughton. Chicago definitely needs to work on its finishing. There's something that's still not clicking, and when you have a strong front line with players like Mallory Pugh and Kelia Watt, I don't know what they need to do, but for them to only win because of own goals for more than one game there's definitely something that they need to improve on. And the Houston Dash definitely needs to tighten their defense. The fact that there were two own goals scored against them, their defense wasn't backtracking enough to cover those balls and to cover the goalkeeper, which allowed Chicago to slot balls in close enough and for their players to score. The last game we're going to talk about is the OL Reign versus Kansas City game. Kansas City still hasn't been able to find their first win of the season, but ultimately, the game ended 2-0 to with a brace from Bethany Balser. Um, Sam Lady, who has been the interim coach, was the one in control of the game this time because the Reigns coach, Farid Bensadi, was fired. Um, the team announced that they were just going in different directions and it just didn't make sense for him to be the coach anymore. This was not really a shock because the team is stacked with players. You have a lot of world-class players and a lot of good youth and nothing was coming from that. And in just one game, a different lineup completely changed the game. Um, Bethany Balser and Ziara King play really well together, and they both should play a lot more together. I also think Sofia Huerta is a key part to this lineup, and she should be there every time. During the game, Reigns goalkeeper Sarah Buhadi received a red card in the 70th minute, and the red was definitely very soft. It should not have been a red by any means. A yellow at most, but even then, it was just a miscommunication, and no one got hurt. Like, 
she was just off her line and someone just fell over her. I don't remember exactly who the, uh, the Kansas City player was, but the red was appealed and it was ultimately taken away. But again, the refing needs to be fixed. And I will probably say this every episode because there's always an issue with it. But since we're talking about the rain, we're going to talk about how they just hired Laura Harvey back to be their coach. Laura Harvey was hired by the U.S. Women's National Team General Manager Kate McGrath in the beginning of 2020, and she led the U-20s through a seven-game unbeaten run at the 2020 CONCACAF Women's U-20 Championship. She was supposed to go with them to the U-20 World Cup, but ultimately it was canceled due to COVID. However, her history is much greater than being the U-20 coach. From 2013 to 2017, she coached the, the reign. And she had a regular season record of 51 wins, 33 losses, and 26 draws. And she had one of the highest winning averages for a coach in the league. She led the club to consecutive NWSL Shields and NWSL Championship match appearances in 2014 and 2015, becoming the first NWSL head coach to reach 100 matches coached. And she was the first one to also get 50 wins. So she clearly knows what she's doing, especially in the NWSL. After stepping away from the rain in November 2017, she served as the head coach of the Utah Royals for its 2018 and 2019 season. She left the Royals to become the coach for the U-20s. Laura Harvey is currently at the Olympics with the U.S. Women's National Team as an assistant coach, and so she won't be joining the team until after the Olympics. So until then, Sam Lady will continue to be the coach for the team, but after that, Laura Harvey will be back and... A lot of people were excited about the news, even players. Um, Bethany Balser even tweeted how excited she was for it. So I'm sure that Laura joining the team will be great for team morale and also just to get them back on track. Next year, there's going to be two teams joining the NWSL, Angel City FC and San Diego NWSL team. There is no official name for the San Diego team yet, but it's going to be the 12th team and the club's name, crest, and permanent venue will be announced soon. But until then, they've still been making big moves. Casey Stoney, former Manchester United manager, was hired to be head coach of the team. She won 52 games in 72 matches that she coached. She played in three World Cups and won various other accolades during her playing time. And a lot of people are looking forward to seeing how she's going to work with San Diego. She was really good for Manchester United, um, not just as a coach, but as a person. A lot of players spoke so highly of her when she announced that she was leaving the team. And so for her to be coming, it'll be interesting to see how she adapts her playing style as a coach. There have also been talks that maybe it'll bring in some more international talent because there are a lot of players who love playing under and playing with Casey Stoney. So maybe it'll bring some players back to the NWSL or just to the NWSL in general. Jill Ellis, who is like the head of the new team coming in, has nothing but praise for Casey Stoney and how... She is really excited to see her vision come to play in this club, and I'm, for one, am really excited to see it as well. It'll also be interesting to see who their first signings are and who Casey's going to be looking at player-wise. Like, are they going to go with a more youth-based team like the Washington Spirit or have players with more of a variety? Molly Downton was also hired as the general manager for San Diego, which would be huge because she worked alongside Jill Ellis on the U.S. Women's National Team And again, players had nothing but good things to say about her. She ran the team smoothly there, and so I don't see her doing anything differently here. And so it'll be interesting to see what her and Jill Ellis and Casey Stoney do going into the next few months before the expansion draft. 
The last thing we're going to talk about in the NWSL section is Elise LaHue, who was fired from Gotham on July 9th after days of what was labeled as personal leave. It was said that she was in Houston away from the team on leave, and people thought she might have been looking for a new job or joining another team. But since then, we have found out that she was fired from the team as their general manager. There is obviously still more information developing. We don't know a lot yet as fans. Um, but it was said that she broke league policy under the anti-harassment policy. And there were speculations going around on social media about what, what could have happened, but nothing was confirmed or denied except that LaHue's lawyer released a statement saying that she denied the allegations against her. There's not much more information to go off yet except that the anti-harassment policy is 16 pages long. So there's a big list of things that could have been done that resulted in her being fired. And as more information comes out, I'll probably talk about it here. Big shock that she violated something under the anti-harassment list because obviously those are not good things. Right now, Gotham is looking for a new general manager and their interim general manager will be the vice chair of the club until they find someone fit to fill the role. Obviously, I hope the best for Gotham and I hope that they hire a woman to be the next general manager of the club and keep in play with being a woman-led team. And I hope that the players are all doing okay right now because obviously to be playing games at the highest level and to also be dealing with this on the side is probably a lot for them. So I hope that there's a solution that they can figure out soon. We're now going to be talking about the U.S. Women's National Team's Olympic matchups. So the U.S. Women's National Team is in Group G and in that group is also Sweden, Australia, and New Zealand. The two best third place teams out of the group will also advance along with the top two finishers. So ultimately, that means that eight of the 12 teams will be advancing to the quarterfinals. Their first game is against Sweden, which kicks off at 4.30 a.m. Eastern time. This being their first game, but also their most challenging game, will likely be a real testament to how the tournament will go for the U.S. Earlier in April, they played Sweden in a friendly, which ended in a 1-1 to draw. In my opinion, the game was very messy on the U.S.'s behalf, but the ref missed many calls and gave them a soft call, which allowed them to tie it up. At the end of the day, Sweden had a much better grasp on that game. Sweden's strengths are definitely set pieces and could be the reason that they advanced so the United States needs to be clear and clean in their moves with allowing things like corners and set pieces. Their second game is against New Zealand, which kicks off at 7.30 a.m. Eastern. New Zealand had no issue qualifying for the 2019 World Cups and the Olympics. However, they went 0-3 for in the group stage in France during the World Cup. The NWSL also had some issues releasing players to the team, including Captain Ali Riley and Abby Urseg, who were still playing in their games up until last weekend. Tom Sermani, head coach, expressed many grievances about how the teams wouldn't release his players. On the part of the Orlando Pride and the North Carolina Courage who refused to release the players, it is highly unprofessional, especially when the teams had Americans who were released almost two weeks before for not only the Olympics, but also the send-off games before the Olympics. They have since joined their teams, and there are some high hopes that they can overcome the obstacles they face at the World Cup, which were definitely scoring goals, and make it farther in this condensed tournament. Their last game in the group stage is against Australia, which kicks off at 4 a.m. Eastern Time. Australia has a lot of strong players like Ellie Carpenter, Sam Kerr, and Steph Catley. However, they have a consistent lack of scoring that needs to be heavily improved upon. Some people to look out for during this tournament are going to be Tegan Micah and Haley Rasso, who are both appearing in their first Olympics. Now, no one is sure if Tegan will definitely get minutes, because she is a goalkeeper and that is a more limited position, especially during big tournaments, but I really hope she does because she did awesome at UCLA, is really strong for her club team, 
and I think it would be great to see some more youth goalkeepers playing in big tournaments. Of the, over the last five games, the U.S. Women's National Team has played against Australia. Three have been wins, one was a loss, and one was a tie. So if Australia can figure out how to fix their converting issue in their first few games, this could be a tough matchup for the U.S. All games will be played at a later time on NBC Sports Network for those in the United States who want to watch without waking up at the crack of dawn. I will probably be waking up at 4 a.m. to watch these games and get ready for the Olympics because I have been looking forward to this and I'm definitely excited to see what the lineups will be like and what to expect from the teams. Obviously, there's a lot of other strong teams and contenders in the Olympics to look out for like Canada, Team Great Britain, and Japan because they have the home field advantage so there's definitely high expectations for them. My ideal lineup for the first match based off the send-off games would be Tobin, Carly, and Kristen as the forwards. As much as I'm not a huge fan of Carly, that front three during the second send-off game worked great and I think it would be pretty strong to get started. We saw that when Alex and Pino came on, there was definitely a lack of communication and something that wasn't clicking. I think that Carly could be interchangeable with Pino, but I wouldn't put Alex on to start that first game, especially when you have a player like Kristen Press who is strong and fast and an all-around excellent player on the ball like I could talk praise on Kristen for hours because she knows what she's doing and so you don't need to have Alex who only plays that striker position when you can have Tobin and Kristen who are very interchangeable in where they can play and what they can do. I would also like to see Lynn Williams get some potential minutes during the group stages but I know that that's not as likely because she was brought on as an alternate and with only 18 people being dressed per game they might choose to keep her as an alternate position but I do think that she could get some minutes, say they want to rest Pino or Carly for a game ahead. They could, you know, dress Lynn for a game and I would really like to see her get some time. For the midfield, I'd like to see Sam, Christy, and Lindsay. Ideally, I would love to see Rose Lavelle instead of Lindsay Horan. However, Rose has had some injuries that they're being cautious about, which we haven't really heard much on. And so it could just be a precaution that she didn't play in the second send-off game. But... I could see her subbing on. I don't really know if she would start. I could see Christy and Rose being interchangeable, but I definitely don't see Julie Ertz playing more than 20 minutes that game, if at all. So it could also mean that there's a chance for Katarina Macario to make her debut in a big national international tournament. Time and time again, we talk about the depth that the U.S. has for their midfield, and it's so true because any of those players could really slot into that midfield and stuff would get done. But I think that Sam Mewis is a crucial part of the midfield and so I definitely think that she needs to be starting as many games as she can, if not all of them. Now when it comes to defenders, I definitely think that Becky, Crystal, and Abby are lock-ins. Every game, those three should be starting. They play well together, so that fourth defender spot is kind of left up in the air. We've seen Kelly O'Hara, Emily Sonnet, Tierna Davidson all slot into that position. I personally love the way Tierna plays and I definitely think we need to get her some more experience in the back line, especially when most of our defenders are on the older end. So you're probably going to have players like Becky Sauerbrunn and Kelly O'Hara retiring soon or at least leaving the national team. So I definitely think that Tierna Davidson needs to be getting these minutes in this Olympic tournament because she's going to need to become a big part of the back line and really step it up. I would like to see Casey Kruger dressed for um, a game or two as opposed to Kelly O'Hara because obviously Kelly will get minutes later on and with her history of injury it might be better to save her for the later games that could be more important. 
And Casey can do her job just as good as Kelly can, if not better. And so I would love to see the way that Casey and Tierna play together on the national team because they play really well together in Chicago. And so I'm really hoping that Casey, Lynn, and Kat will get minutes, especially since alternates aren't a thing anymore. The roster is 22 people. Yeah, you have to pick 18 to dress on game day, but those four players who were originally alternates are part of the team now. And so I do hope that they get time to see the field because it's really important for them to not just be there, but be playing, especially when they're leaving their club teams that they are all very solid for. Goalkeeper-wise, I would love to see AD, but it'll probably be Alyssa Nair just because she's the safe option, and with the first game being against Sweden, you want to go with something that you know, something that is predictable but safe and solid in that goalpost. I could see AD playing in a game against New Zealand or Australia and, you know, say she does do a lot better than Alyssa. She could be the one who ends up getting the starts when it comes to the knockout stages if we make it that far. Um, no team has ever won the World Cup and then the Olympics back-to-back, and while this cycle has had a massive asterisk on this potential record, because of the year off due to COVID, the U.S. had a lot of time to recruit physically and mentally, whereas in the past, you have the World Cup and then you have, like, nine months to get ready for the Olympics, and so that's a lot of stress on their bodies that they didn't have to deal with this year. So even if they do win back-to-back, it might not be considered back-to-back, because there was a year break where there was no play and there was time to, you know, come up with new things and integrate new people into a tournament roster. But nonetheless, I do think that the U.S. has a really great chance of advancing far into the tournament and I would love to see Crystal, Kristen finally get their gold medals that they deserved in 2016 um, this will be head coach Vlako Andonovsky's first major tournament, and he did go with a more expected roster, with players being ones who have been to a lot of major tournaments or who were part of the 2019 World Cup, and I was expecting a little bit more from him, especially with the year off. He had an ID camp when he was first hired to look at some players and potentially integrate them into the roster and so I was hoping with that we would have seen some more youth players coming in like Naomi Gurma and you know Sophia Smith being a bit of a bigger part but a lot of these people were called into one camp and then they're probably on the back burner until after this Olympics but I was hoping that with the year off there would be time to play and develop more players for this tournament and to see a lot more youth because when you compare our age to other countries We have one of the oldest teams, and not that that age is necessarily a bad thing because we're still a dominant team, but the U.S. could definitely benefit by having some younger players like Katarina Macario and Sophia Smith playing together all the time. In this last section, we're going to be talking about what registering for classes was like for me personally. This process was much easier than I thought it was going to be, especially because Like, when you're a freshman in college, you're going into this, like, not knowing what to expect. I know some friends whose school made their schedule for them. I was able to luckily choose my classes, which was a really big added benefit because I'm making sure that I'm taking classes that I want to take. I did do my classes on the last day that you could, and I was really worried about that because I was like, crap, I'm going to get stuck with you know, all the bad classes or the 8 a.m.s, but when I talked to my academic advisor and explained that to her, she was like, no, we'll make sure we get 
you in the classes that you want to get into. Yeah, your options might be limited, but you still have a choice. And I really appreciate the fact that we are able to have that choice because I don't want to pay thousands of dollars to take pre-calc. Like, who wants to do that? Before we registered for classes, we had to fill out a Google form that basically went over the courses that were available and we had to explain our preferences and pick which ones we would want. And our academic advisor was given that sheet and so when we were doing our courses, she was like, oh, you mentioned that you wanted to take this class. Are you still interested in that? And I was like, oh, I don't really remember what that class is about. And so they were really helpful in explaining what each class is about and breaking down, you know, what we could and couldn't take based on our schedule and it was honestly such a really good communicative process for my school and I really appreciate how openly they were able to do this and how even with the boundaries of having to do it online like they really go above and beyond to make sure that we're getting everything we want out of our education. We each had an hour time slot to do our classes with our academic advisor on Google Meet and mine took probably 40 minutes because I did have some classes that I wanted to take, like the communication, media, and society class that was full, and with the one class that I have to take, the Spanish class that I'm taking, um, I had to get it approved, and so that took a little while, but it didn't really feel like 40 minutes. It was honestly the easiest 40 minutes of my life, because I was just like, okay, I think that this sounds cool, and she explained it, and I was like, oh yeah, that does sound cool. And then to go through and add it to your course schedule was like really not difficult at all. You just click some buttons and there you go, you're taking that class. So my schedule actually came out really great. I'm really happy with how it came out. My earliest class is 10 in the morning and I'm done by 4 every day, I think. And I mean, I have classes Monday to Friday, but that's really not an issue when you look at when they start and when they end. I have about an hour and a half between each class, which is nice, except for Thursday I have my like intro to being a freshman class that also was really cool to pick, as opposed to like some other schools where it's just like an intro to college seminar. Like my school has a lot of options, so there's like an intro to college if you're a first generation student, an intro to college class if you're a black student, an intro to college class if you're an LGBTQ student. And so they give you a lot of options. Obviously, there's a regular like intro to college class, but they really do allow you to find your people and find a niche at school, which I find is really great because obviously you want to find people outside of class, but it's important to find people in class who you're going to mesh with. That way you can, you know, get help if you need it, you know, work on group projects, work on homework together, that kind of stuff. And so I think that they do a really great job of giving you a lot of options and setting up your schedule so that you're not waking up at 8 a.m. for class and you're not, you know, taking four classes all in one day. The most classes I have in a day is three and that's on Thursday because of the intro class. So it's really not hard at all. My roommate also has pretty much the same exact schedule as me, which is really awesome because I don't have to worry about like tiptoeing around her in the morning when we're both trying to get ready. And she doesn't have to worry about that with me. And I'm a pretty light sleeper, so if she had an 8 a.m. class, I would wake up. And, I mean, it would be fine, but it is nice that we have a very similar schedule so that we don't have to worry about those kinds of things. Also, I got some more college stuff. I went to Target with my sister and her friend, and they helped me pick out a new pair of sheets because I wanted one that's, that were green and matched my room. And so I got some new sheets. I got a rolling cart, which 
pieces together so easily. It was $16 at Target, so if you're looking for dorm stuff, definitely go get it because it's plastic and it comes apart and is so easy to put together, which will make it great for travel. Um, I got my comforter and my mattress topper in the mail, and so that was really exciting. And I also got some pillows, which was really fun to try to buy. It felt like such an adult thing to be getting, like, pillows, and obviously I had to make it not feel as adultish, so my sister, her friend, and I were all, like, putting our head on the pillows in the racks, and it was pretty funny, but I found some good stuff, and my roommate and I keep checking more and more off of our spreadsheet, and so that's really fun. Thursday was officially five weeks until I move in, and it's getting, like, closer and closer, which obviously I know that. But part of me is still like, no, you're not. Like, what the heck? Like, I'm moving eight hours away in less than five weeks. And that's insane. But I will check back in next week with more stuff I got for college. So that's all for this episode of Mickey Mike's Up. Again, feedback is greatly appreciated. Um, feel free to post about this. Share it anywhere. Um, I also just want to take a quick second to thank all my friends, family, and anybody else who gave this a listen last week. It really means a lot to me, and I'm really excited to see where this goes, especially with all this support. So, yeah, make sure to follow me on Twitter and in Instagram. On Twitter, it's Mickey underscore Alfano, and on Instagram, it's Mickey.Alfano. And I will see you next week for the next episode of Mickey Mike's Up, which... Next week's episode will be an Olympic special as the Tokyo Olympic Games kick off, so be on the lookout for that.